Last week we discussed Ayah 56, Surah Al-Hazab, Surah Al-33, all the way to Ayah 59. We're going to go through those again. There are some discussions that were necessary. We were not able to cover those discussions. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا وتسليموا. This ayah we spoke of in the context of the surah, in the context of the tafsir, with the ayah before it and the ayat after it the salat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the salat of the malaika, the angels of the Nabi they have different manifestations and the salat of the believer upon the Nabi has a very different uh, hukum implication and also application according to Imam Abu Hanifa salat on the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is fard once in a lifetime and every time the Prophet Sallallahu name Mubarak is mentioned in one gathering, one sitting, one majlis, it is wajib once. And the rest of the times it is sunnah mustahab. So if you're in a gathering and the Prophet Sallallahu name has been mentioned more than once, then the first time is wajib and thereafter it becomes sunnah or mustahab according to the ikhtilaf of the fuqaha and so on. The Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Bakhilu man dhukirta indahu wa lam yusalli alayya wa kama qal alayhi salatu salam that the bakhil, the stingy person is the one in front of whom I am mentioned but he does not send salat upon me. Bakhil so here generosity has been equated with sending salat upon the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And as we all know, we always say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam whenever his name is mentioned. It is not allowed in the Hanafi madhab to say the salat during the khutbah when this ayah is being mentioned. Alhamdulillah because we've been indoctrinated with Kind of Salafi is in every masjid. Allahu Akbar, mashallah, everybody says salam. When the khatib says this ayah, you're not allowed to in the Hanafi mother. If you remain silent, it's part of the salat and be quiet. No dua from the participating audience is allowed. This according to Hanafi, according to others, yeah. <laughs> but if somebody's doing it, you can't tell him not to do it. Because then you'll be breaking your rules of Jum'ah. That even if you tell your companion next to you to be quiet, then your Jum'ah becomes invalid. Meaning your reward is not there. Right? So if somebody is doing their, their, their Salat on the Nabi loudly, after the khatib uh, recites this ayah, it's okay. Uh, bear with it, and you mustn't say it. If you're following the Hanafi, if you're not following any mother, that's fine. Then you do what you want. Allah reward you. Either way, inshallah. But that's the adab. Because the khatib is the only one who's allowed to speak and talk during that time. And that's the rule, that's the discipline. So, as far as being a stingy person, uh, when the Prophet Sallallahu name is not is mentioned and there's no Salat going forth, it means that you have no value for the Prophet Where he has nothing but value for you, not only in this world but also in the world, hereafter, and then obviously you're, you're questioning in the grave when you see this uh, person 
his hologram, his face, Mubarak, and you should be able to recognize him. But if you've never said Salat upon him, how are you going to recognize him? So all of these adab and these etiquettes of how to revive love for the Prophet is all about us returning the favor and returning the reciprocating the generosity the Prophet has offered us throughout his life. And now, as I mentioned, this uh, ayah speaks about Allah and the angels sending salat upon the Prophet as we speak now, because the, the ayah, the wording is in the Mubarak, it's in the past, it's in the uh, present tense. Allah is constantly, continuously sending salat upon the Prophet The Prophet said that khayru yawmin al-jum'ah khayru yawmin fihi khuliqa adam kada wa kada that the best day is Jumu'ah فَكَثِرُوا الصَّلَاةِ عَلَيَّ فِي هَذَا الْيَوْمِ that you must uh, increase your Salat on Nabi on this day meaning Friday from Thursday evening at Maghrib time until Asr time the Prophet ﷺ encouraged Sahaba to increase their regimen of Salat on this day because this is the best day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created where the Prophet ﷺ enumerated the gifts and the bounties Allah has manifested in this day as the creation of Adam took place in this day and the others that are mentioned in that hadith. The point is that uh, the Prophet always encouraged the Sahaba to send salat upon him as an act of ibadah, as an act of worship. So this ayah, when you want to do the tafsir of it in isolation, as I've said before, many people have written volumes on this, and people talk about this for hours, and, uh, you know, it's something that we've always done. And it's something that we should promote regularly as part of our regimen. The Sahabi came to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, I have allocated a certain portion of my wird, of my hizb, okay, for salat upon you. And the Prophet said, maybe you should increase it. Then he said, okay, I will appropriate twice the amount. And the Prophet said, maybe you should increase it. And then he said, maybe you should increase it even more. So I said, okay, I have now allocated all the time for my hizb and my wird for salat upon you. He said, no, you have understood. Right. It was a prescription for that sahabi, no doubt. And uh, all the forms of ibadat that come for the Prophet include... Salat ala nabi So it's not something you should look down upon and condemn. That uh, people uh, say that, that this is something you only do in salat. When you're in namaz, and the last two rakats, or uh, the third rakat, or the fourth rakat, you sit down, you, that's the only time you do salat now. It has been part of this civilization to send nafil salat upon the Prophet Because Allah is doing that. The angels are doing it, and we are ordered to do it, so that we also fit into that that, that, that uh, spiritual field where we should belong. Right? So, Salat ala Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam is one of the most amazing uh, forms of ibadat, as Allah subhanahu wa taala sends ten blessings. Uh, upon us, ten salutations on us, who gives ten sins of ours, just for saying Allah sallallahu alayhi Muhammad. It's a huge ni'mah of the ummah. <coughs> so in line with, with this, the understanding we have is, is that uh, the salat al Nabi will help us be closer to the Prophet in Jannah. So the more affiliation we have with him, verbally, with our tongue, the more affiliation we will have with him in Jannah physically. So it is out of love for the Prophet that we send salawat upon him. And we should do this, as I have said, as a regimen, part of our daily dhikr and will, and also part of our weekly will. And it has always been the da'b, the tradition of all the salihun of this ummah, that they would increase their salat upon Nabi on Friday, especially after Asr, 
just before Maghrib, they will engage in this ibadah much more than anything else as is prescribed by the hadith itself. You can see now how Islam and how the Quran and Sunnah uh, inform us that if you do not praise your maker and creator, and if you do not praise your leader, you are not really part of this ummah. Praising Allah by saying Alhamdulillah, Subhanallah, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah. And then praising the Prophet Sallallahu by saying Allahumma salli ala Muhammad is a necessary ID card for Muslims. So you, have, you must praise your leader. If you don't praise your leader, and Allah has given us instruction as to how we praise our leader, one is that you write poems about him. One is that you write accolades about him, and you write uh, books, and you have lectures, and you have the seerah conferences, okay? and you do whatever you do in the molid and everything else. That's all fine. But the other is your own individual, private love and dedication for praising the Prophet ﷺ in your private time. Everybody loves to do it in congregation, in the, in the open, at the time of Mawlid and whatever, and the Sira conference, which is necessary to. Okay? But this is more about your personal connection with the Rasul ﷺ, that in your private time, when you're alone with Allah, you may want to spare a thought for his Nabi, Habib Wasallam, also, where no one else knows uh, what you are doing except Allah. His angels and the Prophet You being the fourth. So, Salawat upon the Prophet has brought about many forms of miracles for the Sahaba, for the Tabi'un and for the Ummah that has followed them. And it still brings about many forms of miracles for everybody as I'm sure people have heard stories. And those stories uh, they may be legends and they may be good stories and some of them may even be true. But the proof is in the pudding, as I mentioned last week, and that is, do you follow him? All right. One is that you have a great poem about the Prophet That's wonderful. SubhanAllah. And the other is, do you actually follow what he said you should do? Where in your, in your, in your own behavior, you're following the seerah of the Prophet in your own uh, personal interaction with other people. You're following the sunnah of the Prophet. The seerah is for you, the sunnah is for others. How you act, interact, that's called the sunnah. Seerah is your moral behavior with yourself, you as a person. So we, we see that the, the ummah always mirrored themselves in the image of the Prophet. And uh, you know, we have stories and stories of how even the Sahaba spent time with themselves. Praising the Prophet as a certain Sahabi says that he found Umar alone one day in the masjid. Alone one day. So he sat behind him. Wouldn't dare sit in front of him. What's he doing? So he, he was enumerating all the miracles of all the Anbiya salam, that Allah Subhanahu gave. Ya Allah, you gave this miracle to this person, this miracle to this person, this miracle to this person. And then he compared those miracles with the miracles of the Prophet He's talking to Allah. Ya Allah, you gave Musa this, and you gave Isa this, and you gave Ibrahim this. And he's comparing. Ya Allah, if you gave Ibrahim this, you gave Muhammad this. Ya Allah, you gave Isa this, you gave Muhammad Allah gave Musa this, he gave Muhammad Comparing That's a different level of love and preoccupation. The good thing is, is that it's recorded, the conversation of Allah. You know, Allah is recorded. It's supposed to be private, but nothing's private. When you're the Khalifa, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us news information and knowledge about what they did in their private lives also. Right. So that was later on picked up by Malala Qasim in which he wrote a whole treatise on comparing the miracles of all the prophets with the miracles of the prophets. 
And one by one, he said that the miracles of the Prophet far exceed the miracles of the other prophets in Fadl, in virtue and merit, and so on. What I'm saying is that even at an intellectual level, the Sahaba occupy themselves in understanding how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favored Rasul sallallahu over others as a preoccupation. When we sit down, when, what are we preoccupied with? We don't know. Whatever it is. When the Sahaba sat down, they are preoccupied with this. This is what I'm saying, is that the hub of the Rasul sallallahu was very, very apparent upon the Sahaba and the way they thought and the way they articulated the deen and Islam and the way they behaved themselves and so on. So for them, the, uh, the face of Islam is the face of Muhammad and the civilizational morals and codes are the sunnah of the Prophet Anyway, this is that. So we should increase our regimen and make more durud and more salat upon the Prophet So that is recorded, as I have said, in all the books of hadith. And they always have a chapter on the salat al-Nabi. This is one discussion that was left over from last week about uh, this particular ayah. There are some discussions about the ayah uh, where we concluded. Ya ayyuhal nabiyu qul li azwajika wa banatika wa nisai al-mu'mineen yudnina alayhi min jalabibihin dhalik adna yu'arafna la yudayn wa kana Allah this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs the Prophet to tell their, his wives and his daughters and the believers, the mother of believers, the, the women of believers, that this is how they should uh, treat themselves and behave themselves when they're out in public, when they're out going out into the shops and the bazaar and everything else, that they should dress in such a way that they will not be targeted and they will not be hurt and uh, they will not be immediately recognized as uh, someone who's available. So at the time when the ayah was revealed, the way that a certain uh, women were dressing, unfortunately, was uh, almost akin to the way certain slave girls were also dressing. So Allah subhanahu wa said that if you are believing women, if you are a believing woman, then you must not dress the way they dress. They do not dress as modest as the believers. Meaning the way a believer is going to present himself, herself, is going to be very distinct from the way a non-believer dresses and so on. So that issue of farda and the hijab and everything else that came with it comes into this ayah where the, 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 um, the application is you, you should not be recognized, number one, it's that, that, that you are recognized as a believing woman. And people don't assume that you're a slave girl, number one. There are the ulama and the fuqaha, they have their rules and regulations of the parda and the hijab and uh, everything else based on this ayah and other ayat which we have discussed in Surah Nur. But uh, I try to browse through the social implications of that even today that we don't want anyone to be hurt and you should not put yourself in a position where you will be hurt by the way you dress. Yeah. One of the signs of the Day of Judgment, Allah, the Prophet said that there will be that there will be women who will be clothed but they will be naked. They'll have clothes, but they'll be naked, or being naked will be part of the dress code. Either way. So when you expose yourself and you expose your beauty in such a way, then invariably you will get hurt and there will be nobody else's fault except yours. Now, in this society, in this culture, you say, well, let the woman dress the way she wants and men should restrain themselves. That's great, wonderful. That you're all human. I mean, they're not robots running around, the, you know, the malls and everywhere else that you go. They're, they're human beings. 
So uh, people must adhere to this by saying that we don't want to hurt ourselves, nor do we want to hurt other people, and the fabric of society is built upon this uh, mutual trust of modesty. But the, the apparatus by which you express your modesty has to be modest also. So the Prophet ﷺ is warning that towards the day of judgment, people will believe their dress, but they're not dressed. Yasiyat. They'll be aryat. They'll be undressed. They'll be naked. So it's not up to society to dictate how we believe we should dress mildly or modestly. It's up to the sunnah and the fiqh that guides you. This is how you can and this is how you may and this is how you should, albeit you're going to say, we are all adults now, we are very civilized. That would be great if you are adults and you are civilized. So the adult rating today definitely is not civilized rating. When you have a movie that's rated as adults only, what does it mean? Mature adults means mature naked people. That's the adult rating. Tasiyatin, ariyatin. You're mature, but you're immature. Right? That you expose yourself. So, you know, the paradigm has been flipped. The reality has been flipped. Which is what happens towards the day of judgment. So here from this ayat, and this ayat, and the ayat of parda, the ayat of covering, uh, is something that also hold fast to and understand the moral social implications if we do not do so or if we promote otherwise. We can't promote now. Unfortunately, the Ummah is very far away from this ideal. This is the ideal or maybe it's the fard or it's the wajib or whatever the fiqh is. But the, this Islamic ideal no longer exists in the world. Anyway, those who wear their jilbabs and their outer covering, they don't have the modesty that's required internally and in, a, in their inner hearts. Very few would have that. As some of you know, that um, some people they, they wear their clothing in their home countries, and as soon as they uh, get onto the plane, that goes away. There are different species on the plane as soon as they leave their countries. Right. So that's kasiyat uh, and ariyat, the same thing. You're clothed, but you're naked. You don't want to be clothed. You're only clothed because of the culture or the tradition. It's not because you love Allah. In surveys about why Muslim women wear scarves, about 35-40% of women, especially college-going women, I'm not saying this is bad, it's good, even if they weren't for that reason, is for the, the, uh, you know, the ID factor. We want to be identified as Muslim. Or it's not even a cultural thing. It's something that's a cool thing. What I'm saying is that the, the, this applies to men also. The men aren't left off the hook simply because the ayah only speaks about women. The men have to dress in a very appropriate way, modest way, and they must behave in the appropriate, modest way also. So we must see that the, 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 the understanding is that we have Nisail Mu'mineen, <coughs> believing women. The key word there is Al-Mu'mineen, believing why do you choose to dress this way? Right. Because you believe. Who do you believe in? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet And you are dressing this way and you are behaving this way. Then if your belief translates into behavior, then you behave modestly. But if your belief doesn't translate into behavior, then not, you're not believing yet. You're on your way. So some work to do. So this is why this is incumbent for us to understand that, as they say, farada is in the heart first. Okay, that your modesty is in your heart first. The hijab is in your heart first. If you want to be a freelancer everywhere you are, it doesn't matter whether you wear a scarf, you don't wear a scarf. It does matter in the sense that it's something fund is part of your setup. The word hijab is unfortunately a gross injustice to the word satar. Should be the word sutta hijab was for the, the veil. Mm. As I've mentioned to several people, that unfortunately Al Mar'at al Muhajjaba came into existence because some guy 
wanted to prove the point of the, the, the woman who is a muhajjaba, hijabi woman. Hijabi means that you wear a scarf. Or, in terms of fiqh, you cover your hair, which is part of your sadr. That's not hijab. Right? That's, a, as I said, a total injustice to the whole theory of sadr. Hijab is the, the veil covering over the face. In its original meaning. Now, since, like everything else, you send salat upon the Prophet ﷺ in your khutbah, even though you're Hanafi. <laughs> Likewise, you, would, you use the word hijab to cover your hair. What are you going to do? Dhumma is just so messed up. So I was like, we kind of send a century away from the ideal that you know, imposing that every woman, every girl uh, wears a hijab or a scarf, that's one thing. The idea that your behavior needs to change, both men and women, vis-a-vis each other, as I mentioned last week with you, gender relationship, that's greater. That is what? Greater. Why? He said that, do, do hijabi women not get into trouble for their behavior? And do men who have beards not get into trouble for their behavior? Sure they do. You understand? This is the behavior, it's what's in the heart that is translated into your appearance and your behavior. If Iman is in the heart, then your behavior will reflect that. And it will be reflected in two things. The way you dress, according to the Sunnah of the Prophet according to this ayah of the Quran, and the way you act and interact, where there is no eye contact necessary. Now, you see, if you don't have eye contact in this country, you seem to be rude. Well, Allah has made it easy for you. Half the country hates you. So they don't want to see you. Right? They don't want to look at you, so don't look at them. What's the big deal? So sometimes a, a cultural imposition is not the only way to solve the issue. The issue is, do I in my heart actually want to uh, make a, a point in front of this man or woman and say, I, I want to score, either through a gesture or through a, an eye contact or something more than that. If that's your niya, then the niya will be manifest no matter what you wear. The fact that wearing this is wajib or farb, that's one issue. The fact that you want to behave this way because you believe in Allah and you believe in the Rasul is a totally different thing which is subjective, it's personal and it's sacred. And that is the meaning of salayyudayn. That less you are hurt, meaning the women are hurt, Allah is very forgiving and very merciful. As he knows that human beings will be human beings. We all have mistakes and faults and shortcomings and, short and misgivings. And the truth is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive. But that doesn't mean to say that you do not promote the ideal. The ideal is there. If now, today, Muslims come onto this platform, that this is the ideal way to represent ourselves in the community, in society. Whether or not we are there, it may take us 10 years, 15 years, 100 years, who knows. It may come tomorrow. But if, if, if you have totally uprooted the ideal, then you have uprooted Islam. Because you have uprooted an eye of the Qur'an, which is kufr. Ideally, and ideologically in your mind, you have uprooted this philosophically, that no, no one ever says that uh, we should come back to the basics. This is the basics. And this is how we should treat these ayat in the context of how we are living today. The next ayah is a continuation of the same uh, discussion. لَنُغْرِيَنَّكَ بِهِمْ ثُمَّ لَا يُجَاوِرُونَكَ فِيهَا إِلَّا قَلِيلًا Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to some of the practices of the people of Medina who were not true to their faith and who were truly not believers. So he addresses the munafiqoon, those who are hypocrites. Now those who claimed they were Muslim in front of the Prophet and sometimes in front of the believers, but they had a disease and a sickness in their heart. 
So if those who are munafiqun, the hypocrites, meaning the legal hypocrites, and those in whose heart there is a disease and a sickness. So one is that you're not sick in your heart, you're just a kafir. Which is basically cancer. And it's fatal. That's nifaq. That's hypocrisy. One is that you do want to believe, but you're somewhat diseased. You have sickness, you don't know. You're so addicted to sin that you are constantly thinking about it, and you can't stay away from it, and so on. That's your fix. The sin is your fix. That's your marab, that's your your disease. You're not a munafiq, but you're very close to being one, because that's all you think of. I truly don't believe it. What am I going to do with this? وَالْمُرْجِفُونَ فِي الْمَدِينَ And those who constantly spread rumors in the city, the city being Medina, those who are scandal mongers, and those who love to spread rumors and other filthy uh, talk and gossip in the community, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if these people don't stop all of their activities and what it is they are doing, Indeed, most certainly, we will rouse you against them. We will give you the authority to do whatever it is you want to do with these people because they are destroying the inner fabric, the spiritual fabric of the community. So the community in Islam has two levels of infrastructure. One level is your apparent, visible, physical. You, know, you have your roads and your amenities and you know, your conveniences and the bathrooms and the washrooms and schools and hospitals and government buildings and the police and all, you know, what have you. That's your visible infrastructure, which is what makes a good city. Without this, there's no city. So the way to destroy a civilization is to get rid of their cities, just bomb them. No infrastructure, no life left. That's number, that's the first level. The second level is deeper. And that is the, so the spiritual, moral infrastructure that's needed to promote a healthy Islamic environment and create a Muslim ambiance. Yeah. That is your spiritual and your moral. In your spiritual, you need to route those people who are now cancerous to you in your community. And that is based on a number of factors that the Prophet ﷺ enumerated as he was developing the city we now call Al-Madina, Al-Madinat Al-Munawwar. Right. This is the part of the seerah that sometimes is overlooked and neglected, unfortunately. As as, as much as the Prophet taught us how to be generous to our neighbors, kind to our neighbors, and how to feed people, and how to say salam to everybody we knew, and everybody we did not know, and how to treat guests, and how to behave in the masjid, and how to behave with children and slaves and women, and all of that fantastic stuff that... Uh, Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed the process and the crate, the physical and the social. What we don't speak of is that there were some civilizational values that was purely spiritual and purely moral and very unique, very ingenious. So, he said, look, I don't have the prerogative at the moment to say this was a munafiq and this was the manatiq, which he, he, he received as per the next ayah. Malonin, that they are all cursed. Which is the next ayah. That wherever they are to be found, they are to be taken, captured, and they are to be killed very severely, without exception. So during the latter part of his life in Medina, the Prophet was made aware of certain people, and as you know, after Tabuk, he announced in the masjid, you are manafiq, you are manafiq, you are manafiq, leave us. And they were told to leave, and they were expelled, and whatever happened. So, but, but the, the way that he integrated this in the spiritual fabric of the community was that he started with some very base value 
folks. One is that ظُلُّوا بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ خَيْرًا That assume the best with believers. If you have iman and your brother in front of you has iman, then assume the best. Don't be suspicious of one another. Because that suspicion will lead you to say that this one's a munafiq, or this one's a kaf, or this one's no good. That this one has a theory, a conspiracy theory, and this one is against me. And then obviously you become paranoid. Except that the Prophet then said that if you do want to know who is somewhat of a believer and someone who is not a believer, then there are signs for the munafiq. Ayatul munafiq. For instance, a hadith. And then there's some other hadith that speak of other signs. That the sign of munafiq is that when he talks, he lies. When you are a believer, you can't lie. Right? And when he promises, he doesn't deliver. And when he argues, he uses foul language. These are the signs. So the Prophet developed the moral infrastructure of the community by saying, first of all, you should have good opinions about each other. Number, one. Number two, if you behave this way, this way, this way, this way then you, are, you have opened the door for others to be suspicious of you. So don't do that. You promised me this, or, uh, but why isn't he here? You're a human being, as I said, you're not a machine. You're human being. You can have emotion. Why is it? He told me this, but it was a lie. And uh, he, he, when he has an argument with me, he doesn't use the civilized language, he uses another language. And so on. Right. There are other signs. So the Prophet asked them, in his very ingenious way, weaved the fabric of the, the spiritual uh, infrastructure in such a way that you could be very sure that this person is a genuine believer and this person is not a genuine believer. So now, People who did not attend the masjid, especially in uh, Isha and Fajr, they were seen to be munafiq because the, only the munafiq would uh, not do that. The munafiq would go to the masjid for Zuhr and for Asr, sometimes for Maghrib because everybody was there. And it was, those who show each other that they're doing their salat. So in Fajr, in, in, uh, nobody would see them. And in Isha, nobody would see them. So they wouldn't do that. So the Prophet Sallallahu said, this is the way you're going to uh, create the spiritual and the moral fabric of the community. This is your infrastructure. That uh, when you see somebody coming for Aisha and Fajr, then you must testify that he is a believer, the Hadith says. Right? In that context. So we, hear, we see that the, the, the ingenious method of the Prophet Sallallahu was to say that we're going to now uh, dictate how uh, a believer is going to behave and we're going to expose the munafiq like a sore thumb. Because the munafiq, because he or she doesn't have iman, they will not regulate their inner conscience and they won't regulate their behavior. And this is the way you develop the spiritual, ethical, moral infrastructure of a community, that the infrastructure of a community basically is based on a good opinion about each other. Unless that opinion has been destroyed by behavior, which is very visible. Right? So now, uh, somebody is sending text messages and emails to somebody else's wife, and uh, they say, well, this is, you, you just, uh, you just, you want, what's the word? Yeah. what? You've just been suspicious. Uh, you've been paranoid. No. It's a sin. There's no way you're paranoid. It's right in front of you. Right? Somebody comes up to you and swears at you. Oh, you've been paranoid. No. It's a sin. Somebody promised to deliver this and he cheated me, he lied. That's not being paranoid. That is a sin. So if those very obvious faults of a munafiq come into the communion society and the people don't do anything to address that and on top of that they want to say we don't have infrastructure where we don't have roads and toilets and 
conveniences and hospitals and uh, schools and universities and government building offices, then you are a hypocritical society. Right? And, you know, the election cycle that happened over the last year proves all of that. You have the greatest, perhaps, infrastructure that a community can afford, a country can afford at this level of magnitude. Thousands of miles across the continent and you have infrastructure. There's no doubt about it. But your, your fabric, the social and your spiritual moral fabric underneath is corroded. Right? It's not even rusty anymore. It's corroded. There's corrosion there. There's nothing there. And you want to say, let's make America big or great again. Okay, how are you going to do that? I mean, kudos if you do. If you do, that's fine. I mean, we're part of it. Right? What my uh, unfortunate beef is, is that the Muslims are saying yes. We say, we don't do that. So we, we work hand in hand with the spiritual, moral infrastructure and the physical infrastructure. They go hand in hand, which is what the Khilafat al-Rashida was all about. It goes hand in hand. That you cannot give up your spiritual, moral code of behavior to develop a physical infrastructure or society that works and functions. You must get this right first. So here the ayah is talking to three groups of people. One is the munafiq. Okay? Very obvious and very clear. The other is those in whose hearts there is a sickness and a disease. That they are always prone to sin. Okay? They're addicted to sin. And the third are those who like to make sure that Muslims don't succeed. And they're always condemning Muslims. And they're always criticizing Muslims. It would be nice if they were doing something about any of those issues they criticize. And they have a solution for those issues and problems, but they don't. They just whine. So here Allah subhanahu wa is saying to the Prophet if these three groups of people don't stop what they are doing, then we will give you the prerogatives to rout them out and then drive them out, and if needed, we will give you the prerogative to kill them. Meaning, we are not going, just as we don't want anyone to bomb any of our buildings, we don't want anyone to bomb us, our spiritual foundation. Uh, we don't want anyone to tear apart our moral fabric. That's the way you build a Medina. In the town, in the city. If you have this level of competence in a city, then you can call it Al-Madina. Al-Madina al-Munawwara. Ali radiallahu when he saw that this level of spiritual competence was now trying, what was now slowly, uh, slowly going away, he moved his Khilafah from Medina to Kufa. We're going to secure the sanctity of Medina and we're going to take this political nonsense where it belongs. That's in Kufa. Kufa is a place of all trials and turmoils. Turmoils and problems. That's where it belongs. It doesn't belong to Medina anymore. So this is how the Sahaba understood this ayah. That in Medina you are not supposed to do anything. You have a beautiful city. We're not going to destroy this beautiful city because of politics. We're going to take the politics away and try and do something over there. So we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us guidance here in the Qur'an that this is the way forward for you. That if you want to be part of developing a country, then you must develop the country on two platforms, on two levels. One is the foundational spiritual moral and the other is the physical. They go hand in hand for Muslims. This is the Muslim's vision. Right? You simply can't say that every Muslim must be so educated and every Muslim must be so civilized, organized, and creative. Hello? We were that. Right? Before the election, we were educated. MashaAllah, we still are. What is the, 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 the amount of money that Muslims bring in into the economy in this country? What is our buying power? What, what are some of the credentials that Muslims have collectively in this country? Mind-boggling. SubhanAllah. But then what went wrong? What went wrong is that the progressives who say, 
No more moral Islam. We just want this type of Islam, which is going to uh, just eradicate every Muslim value you have ever had in your civilization. No gender relationship speculation. None whatsoever. Now, if that's not nifaq, then I don't know what is. Yeah. So we shouldn't have uh, people saying to people that you should pray and dress this way or you should not go to parties and uh, dance and sing. It doesn't work for the Muslim. It doesn't work for the believer. It may work for the non-believer, which is fine. They're not held accountable for them, for, 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 for their sins this way, according to the anyway. We are held accountable at, bo- at both levels. So just as we want schools and we want our children to have the best education and the best credentials and the best jobs and the best lives, uh, homes and, and uh, you know, bank accounts, mashallah, it's wonderful. At the same time, we want them to be ethically and morally Muslim. We want them to believe in Allah, in the Rasul, have a love for the Rasul, وسلم, and have a love for the Akhir at the same time. This is where we, we find that this ayah, although it doesn't apply to us because we're not in Darul Islam, you can see the effects of it. Aynama thuqifu ukhidhu. Right? You've been targeted now. Wherever you are, ukhidhu. You've been targeted. You've been targeted. So the way back is to say to Allah, Allah forgive us and then uh, guide us, inform us so that we are not targeted in any way, shape or form or we're not seen as being disingenuous or we're not being seen as insincere or we're not being seen as just basically hypocrites. Right? So when the going is good, we're there. When the going gets rough, we're not there. So here the eyes is only they are cursed. They're driven away from the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean by their own actions, it's a natural cause and effect. <coughs> the word la'ana is that through their nifaq and hypocrisy and through their sicknesses and diseases, and through their inability to understand that a pure lifestyle is an ideal, even though you may not be able to achieve it in this world, because of those sins, they are driven away from the rahmah of Allah, which is implied in the meaning of malonin, they are cursed. Cause and effect. You drink poison, something's going to happen to you. Now if you say Allah does that, that is true. And if you say they cause it, that's also true. And uh, we must not take these ayat all the time. Uh, only on the face value, literal meaning, we must take them to be a uh, responsibility of all human beings to participate in the betterment of a human civilization. That is why we say that we make dua for all people, not just for Muslims. Peace and security must come for all Muslims. But the Muslim contribution now is twofold. Not onefold. Not only should we vote, or if you want to say that's allowed, or if you say it's allowed, then you vote. If you say it's haram, you don't vote. Who cares? Right. Or, you know, we want to be good citizens. That's good. But good citizenship in a secular society is limited to what? That you follow the law. That you obey the law. Good citizenship for Muslim means something else also, which is your spiritual, ethical, moral behavior, in line with the sunnah of the Prophet and that is only going to happen if you love the Prophet If you don't love him, then you won't behave this way, because you'll be doing everything for yourself. That I can score brownie points with people this way and this way, but if the Prophet said, you mustn't behave this way, then you won't behave that way. You will find another way to engage. People say, it's the only way this society understands. No, it's not. That's in your mind. The best way for any human being to be and behave is the sunnah of the Prophet. Period. That's your fundamental aqidah. Engrave it in your heart. Once this takes root in your heart, that's it, finished. Now, how do I engage with my neighbor in a better way? How do I engage with my colleagues at work in a better way? How do I engage with people 
uh, when I go to stores in a better way, that does not break the sunnah and the code of the sunnah by saying that this is backward or this will just backfire. No, nothing is backward. Nothing backfires. You're the one that's backward. It's backfired on you. You don't know how to engage. The Muslims who went to other countries after the Prophet ﷺ, they did not change the sunnah to do what? Fit into the culture of the countries they went to. They weren't passive. They were very aggressive. We are here to give you another standard of behavior. That's what they did. And they imposed their identity on them. Not by the sword, by the way. But by their behavior. It is something that we must revisit and think very carefully. This is the way we do it. There is no harm in you telling people that you are Muslim and you do not eat pork and you don't eat nantabiha and you will go for Juma. So if you have a meeting scheduled for your time of Juma, just tell them, I have Juma. They're not going to kill you. In fact, they'd be better than you. They'll probably say, okay, let's reschedule because we've got to accommodate this Muslim here. <laughs> it does work. People do do it. But you have to be very upfront. You, you, the confidence that you, uh, you show will manifest itself in the person in front of you. It's not a mind game. It's just that you love the sunnah of the Prophet so much more than you love anyone else's way of life. And the sunnah is a rahmah for all people. Not just for the Muslim. Yeah, so that's where we need to start. That the, the, the spiritual, moral fabric of a, any civilization must be built upon this one person, yeah, Muhammad Then you can have the beautiful Medina or town or city that you can think of and dream of. But for the Muslim, it comes with this addition. The Muslim brings added value to the conversation. He does not decrease uh, any value in the conversation. He adds to the conversation. This is, has been the hallmark of Muslims in the past. Wherever they went, outside of their homelands, they took this identity with them. And they did not need the sword or bombs to prove that they were better. Because they didn't say they were better. They proved that they were better. They just behaved better. With this we make dua. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us and protect us and preserve us. We make dua Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to uh, follow the sunnah of the Prophet in such a way that it helps us in this country and every other place in the world. Ameen ya rabbal alameen wa sallallahu ta'ala